But thank you for listening to If Win. I'm your host, Paul Teese, and today we're discussing cybersecurity with an emphasis on the built environment and the infrastructure needs of smart cities with Dr. Rick Robinson, Jacobs Director of Smart Places, Telecommunications, and Digital Infrastructure, and Nigel Stanley, Jacobs Director of Cybersecurity, People and Places Solutions. So Rick, Nigel, uh, it's great to talk to both of you. Uh, let me start with you, Rick, uh, kind of get our discussion going with a question. Uh, how would you compare the level of malevolent cyber activity against municipalities versus against the private sector and or personal identity theft? You know, how big a problem is this for cities? So I, I think you can't really separate cities from some of those other organizations. I mean, I've personally worked for an infrastructure company that along with many, many other companies in the British Isles and overseas was subject to a cyber attack um, several years ago, took out a lot of our systems for quite a long time. That therefore had um, an implication on our ability to keep infrastructures running. The, the company that I worked for, we reckoned that one in four of the UK population used something that we maintained or operated every day. So, you know, the potential footprint there's already a vast. There was a news story not long ago this year about a water company in America being attacked. So. Is it a city that's attacked or is it a company that operates the infrastructure for um, or an infrastructure for that city? You know, these things are difficult to separate from each other. I think what I would say is that the rate of deployment of digital technology in the built environment has been accelerating rapidly for many years now and will continue to do so from what was quite a low base. And of course, as we deploy that technology, and in particular, as we link data from one place of data from another or to an end user in another place or to a piece of infrastructure, mm -hmm. all of those things having previously been separate from each other and hence perhaps hard to attack, as soon as we open them up a little bit to connect them to each other, we create vulnerabilities or at least the chance of vulnerabilities so that there is more to exploit. So. You know, I, I think this is already an issue. Um, it's probably not one that we've spent enough time looking to address. Um, and it's certainly one that will become a larger, more extensive issue with the potential for greater impact as we go forward. Hmm. That's interesting. And I suspect that with the advent of the COVID pandemic and like, you know, those uh, dispersed workforces and the need to like really kind of ramp up digital operations, uh, you know, for for companies that that probably has even exacerbated the need for cybersecurity and, and some of the, the potential opportunities for bad hat actors to do their to do their dirty work. So. So Nigel, you know, what are some of the more common avenues of attack that hackers and cyber criminals seek to exploit when attacking municipalities? You know, what are their main targets and what are the entry points? So that's a really great question, Paul. So we've seen a number of publicly acknowledged attacks across various municipalities in the UK and across the world. And Almost inevitably, it seems to come down to ransomware. So it would appear that, you know, one of the biggest vectors appears to be folk being sent email, the email containing an embedded link, uh, then clicking on the link and then, you know, releasing all sorts of badness across the, uh, the network that they're operating on. So unfortunately, we all need email to operate in today's connected world. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to, to air gap or switch off, you know, email. So I think organizations need to look at how they manage that, but don't actually stop the, uh, the building, uh, the organization from actually working. 
I think aside from uh, phishing emails, which is an interesting entry vector, uh, my interest is, is what we call operational technology cybersecurity. So you know, the, the, the hardware and the software that controls things, and those things could be a myriad, anything from you know, street lighting within a municipality through to water treatment works. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, these systems are way behind the schedule when it comes to, to cybersecurity. And we've seen a number of attacks using OT systems as an entry point. Uh, and there was a great example in a casino, admittedly not a municipality, but you could argue that a casino is a city in its own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an attack there that came through the aquarium mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the casino because the aquarium was the weak link mm-hmm. and the bad folk got into the uh, aquarium and they managed to, uh, to move across the network. So I think the bottom line is that the bad folk are increasingly creative uh, and looking for, uh, for new ways of, of getting into these organizations. And we're, we're constantly on the back foot as we try and address this risk. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I've heard tales, anecdotal tales of like cyber attacks occurring in things such as like uh, air conditioning systems. And I think even like vending machines, you know, like it's just anything that's a connected device suddenly becomes a vulnerability or the potential for a vulnerability. So, so Nigel, can you describe the dangers of cyber attacks against cities? Because, you know, outside of the financial ramifications, I suspect there are some public safety aspects that are worrisome, you know, like power grid, water quality, policing, and that sort of thing. Can you talk to some of that? Yeah, I, I think many of the, the dangers are self-evident. Um, you know, in the modern connected world that, that Rick and I work in, you know, supporting the notion of a digital city where everything is connected across a digital backbone. Mm-hmm. An interruption to that digital backbone could could massively impact how that city operates, and the uh, you know the first responders all the way through to the uh, electricity supply. You know, electricity is fundamental to our our day to day world, and uh, anyone that's ever endured any degree of a power outage will be very familiar with with sort of the visceral response you have to it because mm-hmm. you realise that you know all the various gadgets, the you know, the world that you work in stops working. Uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, quite stressful. I think an interesting stat that I heard a while back is that we are all three missed meals from anarchy. In other <laughs> words, you know, if we end up missing three meals, then it's complete and utter anarchy, um, yeah. which is a bit of a scary, a scary thought. Mm-hmm. But as Rick mentioned, you know, the attack on the Old Smar uh, Water Treatment Works in Florida is, is fairly recent. And then in that case, you know, the bad bad people got in there and they actually adjusted the, the levels of the sodium hydroxide chemical levels from the normal 100 parts per million mm-hmm. to 11,000 parts per million. Uh, and if, if that attack had succeeded, thankfully it didn't because there are other safety systems in place, but if it had have succeeded, then that water supply would have been poisoned and people drinking the water would have been impacted. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty serious danger there, Paul. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can, I can sympathize uh, in terms of the, the electricity, just remembering just earlier this year, we had some pretty significant weather events in Texas and uh, we were just really caught, not, not ready for it. So a lot of power outages and, and whatnot. Now, Rick, and, and this question may be kind of self-evident, but it, I am interested to dive into it nonetheless 
But the question is, are smart cities especially vulnerable to cyber attacks or are they better insulated from criminal behavior than other cities who may not have invested as much into their digital infrastructures? I think the answer to that question depends on how the smart city is implemented in each case. Um, so, you know, a city that doesn't explicitly go down a smart city route. And I think I contend, actually, that's not really possible anymore unless you as a city have somehow decided to rule out the use of technology. Technology is getting baked into absolutely everything these days. So, you know, a city that doesn't look at that, and let's say perhaps deliberately doesn't create additional connections between infrastructures and control centres and swap data between different places. You know, that city is avoiding perhaps creating linkages between systems and data that could give rise to vulnerabilities that could be exploited or, or attacked. But I think linkages are nevertheless there. The infrastructures will have digital technology in them of various sorts that can be subject to attack. Perhaps in the past that was less likely to happen because there weren't so many bad actors trying to exploit things um, or because it just hadn't come to their attention. There were more obvious targets, but I don't think you can rely on that being the case anymore. Let's say a city takes a positive smart city strategy and looks for you know, delivering infrastructure that's got lower carbon emissions or greater consumer convenience because it's using technology to operate intelligently or to offer a different way it can be accessed then you know, those uh, steps will certainly create vulnerabilities or the, the risk of vulnerabilities. If it's done with a strong cyber strategy and a strong cyber governance, then you would hope that those risks are identified, they're mitigated, they're maintained, they're monitored, any threats and attacks are responded to, and there you have a city that is in control of its cyber security. If you undertake a positive smart city approach without considering the cybersecurity in that way, I would suggest you're taking rather a lot of very big risks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I can imagine that there's there's got to be more and more of a premium on making sure you have like a chief information security officer at the municipal level. And you know, if you don't have one, you need to you need to find someone who operates in that capacity. So Rick, you know kind of as a follow-up to that, what are the key areas of investment that municipalities need to focus on to ensure they are optimally protected from black hat behavior? So I think in your previous comment, you, you identified one of those areas. It's not necessarily an easy area to address. So mm. the city should certainly look at appointing a, a chief information security officer. The city isn't one thing. Um, so you know, if that CISO is appointed by the local authority, mm. does CISO nevertheless have any oversight over the city's transport authority or water supplier or taxi drivers or what shops do in the city? You know, a, a city's ecosystem, its community, its economy are the aggregate effect of a huge number of disparate entities. And so um, the, the task for a city CISO would be to create some form of governance over that ecosystem. Now, that's not a simple thing to establish, and it would require a set of influencing policies as well as directive measures. So that's certainly something that um, a city should look to, to undertake. I think then a key would be looking at, you know, what are the mechanisms that are in the remit of a local authority to influence what happens in the city? What criteria should be contained within any procurement policy for things that the city procures directly? 
how could you use things like business rates frameworks or planning frameworks to other influ otherwise influence what happens within a city mm -hmm. and I Part of this is actually not going to be within local authority control or within any control within a city. Some of it's going to be national or nationally regulated. If I think of the example of the, the UK's water and energy industries, for example, neither of those have a unit of governance at city level. Um, the energy infrastructure is a national infrastructure upon which there is a competitive national market of private sector providers. Um, the franchises to provide water are operated at regional level um, and both those sectors have a national regulatory body so you know that would be the route in for cyber governance through what are some incredibly important uh, pieces of city operation and infrastructure so it's a really complex area but those are just some of the things that any authority should be looking at mm. And then, Nigel, how would you describe municipal cyber defense in terms of the various departments cooperating with each other? You know, meaning, do you typically see police departments working with utilities such as water and electric, hospitals, et cetera, or do you see more of individual departments operating in silos? Yeah, great question. I think it's um, all of the above, quite frankly. I think it depends on the geography, depends on the uh, the country where the municipality might be based in terms of the support they might or might not get. Mm -hmm. I think the, the one underlying constant is that all of these municipalities will be under huge budget constraints. And so if you look at a, an incident, you think, well, who's actually going to take the lead on that incident? Does it sit within the, uh, the utility or is it a police problem or so on and so on? So I think that that's definitely going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And every single incident is going to be different. There are local resilience forums. I've done a lot of work with local resilience forums that bring together the, the first responder community. But these groups are really focused around, you know, massive flooding or big fires or, or civil unrest or something, and certainly not cyber. Mm. And the question's got to be, you know, who would take the lead? Because every incident is, is going to be different. If, it, if it's a healthcare-related cyber incident, is it the healthcare provider? Likewise, if it's criminal, is it the police and so on? And you know, we are assuming that these organizations, such as the, the local sheriff's department, have got any expertise in cyber. And certainly my experience is that many local and provincial police forces have very limited cyber expertise. So if they are looked to, to, to take the lead, I think that they'll be uh, maybe running away rather quickly. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a tough question, really. Mm. I think an interesting model that we have in the UK, we have the National Cyber Security Center and they were established a few years ago and they, they act as a useful coordinating body for major cybersecurity incidents. But they are unlikely to get involved with anything at the local municipal level as well. So I think that's going to be a bit of a challenge. So I think the answer is, unfortunately, you know, it, it depends. But I would certainly suggest that, uh, you know, local authorities look at how they deal with cyber. They need to accept that they will have a cyber event or incident that they will need to deal with and start practicing rehearsal now with the various first responder communities to make sure that they respond appropriately. Hmm. And then Rick, are there any smart cities you would point to that are leading the way in terms of cyber defense maturity and capability? That's a really difficult question to answer actually, because I think um, we're quite early in the emergence of the market. Um, hmm. I think it's also something that, um, you know, it, it has taken us a while to justify to business the importance of investing in cybersecurity properly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that at first glance doesn't appear to contribute towards the purpose of having 
a digital system. It, of course, has become increasingly apparent that it's absolutely vital to keeping that digital system operating the way that we need it to. Mm. Um, but it's tended to be the concern that's come second in the history of technology. We have certainly seen some interesting initiatives. So London, for example, founded a digital security centre many years ago, working with the police, local universities and the private sector supply side. Um, so, so that's providing you know, a resource, some capability and expertise in the sector. Both mm -hmm. London and New York have accelerator programmes for cybersecurity startups. And there are several cities, uh, ones I'm familiar with in the UK supporting the cyber industry would be Belfast and Dundee, for example. So there are lots of cities taking first steps. I think um, those perhaps in the strongest position to address this very complex area that we've set out are those that have appointed at least a chief digital officer or a chief technology officer, if perhaps not yet a chief information security officer. It's the sort of thing also that perhaps, you know, a, a city resilience officer such as Milan have had for some time might play a role in. So, you know, at least if you see those roles in place, you see the leadership role and the start of governance and the policies that follow for having a citywide digital agenda of which cyber should be an increasingly important part. And then, Nigel, my, my last question for today is how do you see municipal cybersecurity evolving over the next three to five years? I think the first thing is it's going to have to evolve, Paul. I think that uh, you know the the local authorities have to understand that they are now very much in the in the crosshairs of of the bad people that are looking to do undertake cyber attacks and what have you. So, you know, no more is a municipality off limits, and they will absolutely be be part of the target. I think with with budget constraints, I think that 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 poses a real challenge. So I think that the municipalities need to look at where they spend their money and how effectively they spend it. Unfortunately, a cyber event or an incident is a, is a great way of releasing budget, but that's very much reactive. So, so what I would say is that they need to be looking at being proactive about managing the risk, because at the end of the day, this is a risk to their business as it is for any organization. Mm -hmm. And they need to factor that into, into their planning and into their, in their budgetary spending. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how all these various ransomware attacks carry on across local authorities. Mm -hmm. I think coupled with the massive budget constraints that we're seeing within the public sector post-COVID, I think it's almost a perfect storm. So it's a real challenge, but, you know, no matter what, these, uh, these local authorities are going to have to improve their cybersecurity, whether they, they like to or not. Yeah, I think it's just it's going to be what we call table stakes. It's just a matter of it's a cost of doing business and it's an unavoidable cost of doing business. And, you know, clearly the uh, the bad actors out there, uh, you know, both criminals as well as maybe like rogue states and rogue state agencies will not rest and will continue to look to exploit vulnerabilities. So it's, you know, there's there's a lot of good that can be done with with uh, smart cities and you know digital technology but you have to uh you have to be willing to you know protect your assets and your uh, your citizens so rick uh just kind of as a add-on to that question to nigel about uh cybersecurity evolution you know how do you see the digital capability landscape evolving in that that same time frame the three to five years and how is that going to impact cybersecurity well, just perhaps two examples of things that I think are going to, even from what we've seen through COVID, continue to dramatically accelerate the deployment of technology in cities. 
and one is climate change. So um, a lot of the infrastructure and asset investors that we talk to at the moment think that three to five year time frame is the time frame within which they have to act to make dramatic reductions to carbon in order to protect the 25 year asset value that they are interested in that their business models depend on. Mm -hmm. to act now to protect that asset value. Now, digital technology isn't the only thing that we need to help us address climate change, but for sure, using it to create infrastructure that is more efficient, more resilient, more sustainable, that's absolutely got to be a part of it. So we we must see a significant deployment of infrastructure using digital technology over the, the next few years. The second one would be employment. Um, the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs report in October last year predicted that between now and 2025, about 44% of the activities that form jobs today will be transformed by digital technology. Um, That's an astonishingly rapid transformation, but Mm. it's another sign to say, you know, 44% of those things, a lot of that is going to be things that people do in cities, implying a lot more digital technology, supporting people who keep the buses running, who help us transport ourselves, who run shops, restaurants, you know, all these normal things will continue to see a lot of digitalization. So, you know, we're going to see all of that accelerate and it will bring with it the need to be on the front foot and in control of the cybersecurity implications. Well, Rick and Nigel, I really appreciate you both spending the time to chat with me today about this topic. Uh, It's very fascinating and I really appreciate your expertise. So thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul.